For those of you who don't know me, my name is Darren Geyer. I'm the director of spiritual formation programs, and I'm happy to be able to share what God has placed on, on my heart today for us. Um, it is Thanksgiving weekend, if you didn't know, and it is a short week, so let that be an encouragement to you as well as we, as we begin to think about what we're thankful for, and I'm thankful for, um, for the chance in the, in the calendar year to remember to be thankful. I don't know about you. Um, if you would today, please open your Bible um, to Galatians chapter 5. Um, we're going to spend a little time there a little bit later, but I would love for you to open, it, open up to it now, and, um, and, and we'll be there in a bit. So let me re- reintroduce you to our chapel theme this year um, with God with us, together with others. We'll be spending all year long uh, talking about how Jesus pursues us and how we can pursue him, about his intimacy with us and our life with one another. Last time I was speaking with you about a month ago, uh, we scratched the surface of the role of the Holy Spirit in our life with God. And we talked about how the Holy Spirit allows us to enter and to see the kingdom of God. And today I want to focus again on the role of the Holy Spirit in our life with God. I want to explore together today what it means to live by the Spirit's power. Let's first pause and take a look at how the Holy Spirit has shown up throughout the whole story of God. And to do that, we're going to watch a video by the Bible Project. Let's take a look. If you've ever heard the phrase, the Holy Spirit, and you want to know what it means, where do you start? Well, you have to start on page one of the Bible, where the uncreated world is depicted as this dark, chaotic place. But then above the chaos, God's Spirit is there, hovering, ready to bring about life and order and beauty. Okay, but what is God's Spirit? Yeah, so the Spirit is the way the biblical authors talk about God's personal presence. The Hebrew word is ruach. Ruach. Yeah, you got to clear your throat at the end. So what is it? Well, ruach can refer to a number of different things, but what they all have in common is energy. Energy, how so? So there's an invisible energy that makes the clouds move or the tree branches sway. Right, wind. So in Hebrew, that's ruach. Okay. Now take a big breath. (sighs) So you feel that inside you. Yeah, the air? Well, specifically the energy, right? The vitality in your body that you get from breathing deeply, that too is ruach. And this is the same word used in the Bible to describe God's personal presence. Just like wind and breath are invisible, God's spirit is invisible. Wind is powerful, and so God's spirit is powerful. And just as breath keeps us alive, so God's spirit sustains all of life. Yeah, Ruach. Now, as we continue on in the story of the Bible, we see God's Ruach giving special empowerment to people for specific tasks. The first person in the Bible this happens to is Joseph. God's Spirit enables him to understand and interpret dreams. And then it happens to this guy named Bezalel, and he's an artist. God's Spirit empowers him with wisdom and skills. He's given creative genius to make beautiful things in the tabernacle. And we also see God's Ruach empower a group of people called the prophets. They're able to see what's happening in history from God's point of view. That's exactly right. And here's the problem as the prophets saw it. 
While God's Ruach had created a really good world, humans have given in to evil. They've unleashed chaos into it through their injustice. A new type of disorder. Yes, and the prophet said the spirit would come, just like in Genesis 1, but now to transform the human heart, to empower people to truly love God and others. How will this new act of God's spirit happen? Well, centuries pass and we are introduced to Jesus. And at the beginning of his mission, there's this beautiful scene where Jesus is being baptized in the waters of the Jordan River. Yeah, the sky opens up and God's spirit comes and rests on him like a bird. The story saying that God's spirit is empowering Jesus to begin the new creation. And we see this happening when he heals people or forgives their sins. He's creating life where there once was death. Now, Israel's religious leaders oppose Jesus and they eventually have him killed. But even here, God's spirit is at work. The earliest disciples of Jesus who saw him alive from the dead said it was God's energizing spirit that raised Jesus. This is the beginning of new creation. Yes, and it's still going. When Jesus appeared to his closest followers, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And soon after that, the spirit powerfully comes on all of his disciples. So that they can become a part of this new creation and share the good news and learn how to live by the energy and influence of God's spirit. And so today, the spirit is still hovering in dark places. Yes, pointing people to Jesus, transforming and empowering them so they can love God and others. And the Christian hope is that the spirit is going to finish the job. The story of the Bible ends with a vision of a new humanity, living in a new world that's permeated with God's love and life-giving spirit. All right. The Holy Spirit is and always has been life-giving and empowering God's personal presence with us. And that's what we're going to be exploring together today. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says, uh, he says this, And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. So you, Christian, you follower of Jesus, you, you, when you believed in Christ, you know this, you received the Holy Spirit. God's power, God's power that raised Jesus from the dead living inside you. God's Spirit empowers you. God's Spirit teaches and reminds you. God's Spirit guides you. The Holy Spirit illuminates Scripture for you. The, the Spirit guides you into all truth the Spirit gives you spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit convicts you. He helps you in your weakness. He intercedes for you. To me, this is starting to sound like a Marvel movie, right? Like superhuman strength almost. But how many of you feel superhuman when it comes to living the way that you know that God wants you to live? Does anyone feel like they've just nailed it? I know that I haven't. I became a Christian when I was 20 years old. Um, the Holy Spirit took up residence in me on January 14th, 2001, and I felt different. I knew I was different. I suddenly had a whole new meaningful purpose for my life. I felt a part of something way bigger than, than me, and I saw my life in a whole new way, but I still struggled with sin. In fact, for over half of my life now, the Holy Spirit's been doing his thing in me, but I still struggle with some of the same stuff. I still fall short of God's best for me in some of those same ways as when I was 18, 19, 20 years old. 
Didn't the power that raised Jesus from the dead um, transform me? Did I do it wrong? You know, even Paul wrestles with this too, and I take comfort in this, right? Romans 7, he says, Paul says, I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Those are Paul's words. It's comforting that that he's experiencing this. It's not just me. It's not just you. But I want to ask why. Why is it like that? Well, we find a clue in, in the same passage I just read. Right up before that, Paul says, And I know nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. Other translations say the flesh. Sinful nature, that's the clue. That's this is answering why. We can understand this more clearly by looking at Galatians 5. Um, if you would, read along with me. I'm going to start at um, verse 16 of Galatians 5. If you don't have it with you, um, let your focus, focus your attention as, as you listen. Paul says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Holy Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, and so you're not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you're not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous with one another. So here are two things that are true about a Christian based on Galatians 5 and and other areas of Scripture, two things that are true. One is you have a sinful nature. And the other, you have the Holy Spirit. Tim Mackey, one of the creators of the Bible Project, um, he says it like this. He says, we live with one foot in both worlds, the sinful nature and the world of the Holy Spirit. Now, we know that God wins. And we've been redeemed, and he is restoring what was destroyed in us and in our world after the fall. But the sinful nature still remains and still has influence. I've asked God, why can't it just be that you complete the work in me that you want to do? Why can't this be faster? Why can't this be more immediate? And I feel like God has said to me, the thing I'm doing in you, Darren, it takes time. And that's on purpose. Paul uses this metaphor of, this agricultural metaphor of fruit. And to me, that reminds me of gardening. And, and I don't know about you, but I've had um, sort of quasi-successful attempts at gardening over the years. It's been, it's been difficult at times. But I, I, I would love to get some participation from you all. Is that okay? Yeah? In fact, I don't know if, it, I don't know if there are any gardeners out there, but what I want to do is I want to come... I'm going to come out to you. If you have, here, answer this question for me. What can you do 
to make seeds turn into fruit? What are the things that you can do? What are the things that are in your control to make that tomato plant grow? All right, I'm coming out. Yeah? You can water it and you can fertilize it. Good. Water, fertilizer, thank you for being brave and being first. I, I can, I have, I'm coming all the way out here. I need some hands up. My dad and I put sawdust on the ground so the slugs don't get in. Ooh, sawdust? Did you say slugs? Yeah. Yeah, that's gross. <laughs> sawdust? I love that. I hadn't thought of that. That's good. It probably helps with moisture retention, too, I would think. Yeah, it keeps the slugs out. Anybody? I'm coming way back here. Who has a hand up? Who, who knows the answer to the question, what could you do? Jeremiah. What could you do to help those tomatoes grow? I can choose the soil that it grows in. You can pick the soil that it grows in. There, it matters what you're planting those seeds in. Excellent. Anybody else? Maybe one or two more? I can weed around it. You can, yeah, you can weed around it, right? Those weeds are vicious and persistent. Thank you. I appreciate it. A couple more? I know there's a couple things I'm thinking of. What can you do to help those tomatoes grow? Way over here. Okay, we're visiting the carousels, everybody. Uh, I put ours on like a terrace so it can grow up something. Oh yeah, like a, like, a thing, like a thing that helps support the plant, that helps it grow up right? I love it. Is there anyone else over here as I walk, walk back? Oh my gosh, way in the middle of the... I'm not going to toss it to you. I can't. They won't let me do that. <laughs> you know, keep it in the sunlight. Keep it in the sunlight. All right. <laughs> I love it. You guys got it. <laughs> um, you guys, that's pretty good. Those are the things I thought of, too. You know, they're... <laughs> you guys should go into gardening. That was really good. Yeah, you can choose the sunniest spot. You can make sure the soil is right. You can, you can water deeply. You can put sawdust over it so the slugs don't get in there. You can weed around it. You can, you can put those cages around it so they grow upright, right? You have a part to play in making the seed turn into the fruit. But for those plants to reach their full fruit-bearing potential, those things you need to do, but also it's not going to happen just by your effort. Because here's what I know about gardening. If you, don't do, if you don't do any of those things, tomato plants will still grow. You'll still get some tomatoes. Um, in fact, I'm a very negligent gardener, and, and we've had tomato plants. We've spaced them too close together, and it was a rat's nest in there, and it was, we didn't water, we didn't weed, and we had, we had some fruit, but it wasn't abundant fruit. It didn't live into its full potential. Just like slowly over time, God wants to produce fruit in us like that. God wants to produce fruit in us like that. And there are things that we can do, but there's the most important thing that, that God does. God plays his part, and we have a part to play too. And I'll ask again, why, why are we not just zapped with complete power right away when we become followers of Jesus? Well, I think Jesus wants us to say yes to him every day. He's given us this, this choice. We can acknowledge and, and live into the way of Jesus or not. We can daily seek the aligning of our will with God's will or not. We can, like verse 25 says, follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives or not do that. So what does this look like? How do we do this? Well, there are, there are a couple things I think are helpful to focus on. The first is, let's not limit the Holy Spirit's power. When I first was thinking of this and reading that in Scripture, I thought, well, that's kind of strange. How could I, how could I limit the Holy Spirit's power? It's God's very 
strength in me? How, how would I limit that? But let's look at Ephesians 4, chapter, um, chapter 4, verse 30. It says, do not bring sorrow to the Holy Spirit by the way you live. Okay? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. In 1 Thessalonians uh, 5.19, do not stifle the Holy Spirit. You guys, we can limit the Holy Spirit's power in our lives. God never forces himself on us. Abundant life, abundant fruit is not automatic. The Holy Spirit can live in you and can be less effective. Let's look again at Galatians 5.16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The NIV, cut, the NIV says, walk by the Spirit. The Spirit's in you, now walk by the Spirit. Um, Pastor Henry Williams, um, he compares this to um, water skiing. He says that the power of the boat is what moves you, just like the Holy Spirit is the power that enlivens and empowers us. But you have to play your part to make it all work. I've never been a water skier. I've never even tried it. And, and so I had to look up, well, what's all involved? What are the steps involved to water skiing? And it was pretty interesting. It made it sound actually pretty simple. Uh, first step is, it's like six easy steps, right? The first step is perform the cannonball position by getting into a seated position where your knees are close together at chest level. Um, well, maybe I'll just demonstrate this for us. Like, so cannonball position, and I'm just going to follow the instructions that I saw, I saw on the internet. Cannonball position with your knees close together at chest level. Okay, that's step one, all right? Um, step two, as you grip the handle, your arms should be outside of your knees, and the rope between the skis, arms should be straight. Okay, that's step two. Step three, make sure your knees stay together at all times. Okay, I don't get how the knees together, but the skis are separate. I don't know. That's step three. Step four, you'll use the chair position between the cannonball position and standing up on your skis. Your legs will form a 90-degree angle like when you sit in a chair. Okay, so that's step four, and that's going to be a little tougher for me to demonstrate, but, you know, something like that, right? Um, number five, your arms should be outstretched in front of you holding the handle, and your back should be straight. Remain in this position until you're comfortable and can bring your hips underneath your shoulders, okay? And while continuing to ski, your shoulders should be squared facing front. Keep your head up and lean back slightly. <laughs> you should remain straight and out outstretched in your arms. Do you think that would work? <laughs> Easy, water skiing in six simple steps. Anybody who's water skied, I'm guessing, knows how ridiculous that just was. Because it takes practice, right? It takes practice, and it's not that easy, really. And, and, and in our spiritual life, you guys, it takes practice. It takes practice, too. This is where things like spiritual practices can be helpful. They allow us to focus on our union with, with God, and, and the doing, the practice, is, is the means. It's not the goal, but it's not ultimately about doing. It's about what the doing can help allow happen in our hearts. It's about allowing our soul the chance to pause and to observe and to learn and experience what God wants to do in you. Our practices have the power to reorient our heart and reshape our desire. And what I'd like to do this morning is, is practice one with you again this morning. This is a spiritual practice that I'm a big fan of. It's called the breath prayer. And I'll explain what this is. Pastor Adele Alberg Calhoun says it, says it this way. She says, breath prayer is a form of contemplative prayer linked to the rhythms of breathing. It does actually sound really simple, and it is. It includes repeating a one-sentence a, a one simple prayer that begins with a biblical name of God that is meaningful to you, followed by a word or phrase expressing a deep God-given desire. 
And while you're doing that, you're connecting the prayer to your breathing. And then this simple short prayer is meant to be returned to throughout the day until it becomes kind of a reflex of the soul. I have a couple of examples to share um, on the screen, and, and, and these are just examples. You can, you're encouraged to, to pick anything. But again, that first part, as you're breathing in, you're breathing in that, that, that biblical name of God that is meaningful for you. So in the first example, as you're breathing in, Lord Jesus Christ, and as you're breathing out, have mercy on me, a sinner. Or the second one, as you're breathing in, Abba, as you're breathing out, I belong to you. And you can see how this connects to your breath and is just so readily available throughout your day. The practice is great for reminding yourself that God is present and living in you, keeping company with Jesus, opening yourself to union with Christ all day long. It's great for helping to guard your, your self-talk, guarding your thoughts, your feelings, and behavior that flow from an ongoing dialogue with God. And I want to allow us a few minutes to practice this today. Just a time of silent reflection. Choose one of the breath prayer examples I've given you, or create your own. Let's spend a few minutes with breath prayer. God, you so desire to produce beautiful things in us. And God, sometimes we get in the way. God, sometimes actively, sometimes passively, we just ignore you. We forget about your, your spirit that lives in us. But God, may we remember as we go from this place today that, Father, you are indeed with us, closer than we can even imagine. And so, Father, may we rely on that closeness, that spirit in us. God, thank you for doing the heavy lifting, the supernatural work of creating good things in us. God, may we tend the garden so that we can see that and celebrate that fruit in our lives. And may that spill over touching the lives of others as, as you're doing your work in us. We thank you, God, and we pray these things in your name. Amen.